0: Trump is in legal trouble, again, this time over the January 6th insurrection. Heard of it? Is his arrest on those charges imminent? RFK Jr. is caught on tape spinning a COVID conspiracy theory about the Jews. Will this controversy eat into his Democratic primary support? Then we'll turn to the newly released fundraising and spending numbers from 2024 candidates. Who's up, who's down, and is anybody within striking distance of Trump? And finally, we have an item for our segment, something that's political but doesn't seem political. This is Majority54. Welcome back, Robbie.
1: You know, uh, what better way to be welcome back into this country than to read yet another story of an indictment looming against (laughs) former President Trump? Actually, it seems like there's two if we count Georgia, which... You know, it seems to be the the underrated uh, indi- looming indictment. You know, it just doesn't get enough credit here. You know, there's so much attention to Bragg, so much attention to Jack Smith, but you know, we got this prosecutor remember down that, in Georgia. Where do you saying,
0: remember that uh, gal who was the foreman of the grand jury? Like, it oh, feels yeah. <laughs> like two years ago.
1: <laughs> was I mean, like, that's actually a good for like her. loving her moment. Uh, the the less we think about her, the better she is. So I think that it's is true. Yeah, she, i i have a feeling we'll be talking about her again soon when those charges come down the the right mm-hmm. probably they probably have a whole burn book on her um but this latest piece here is is Donald Trump on Tuesday said that he received a letter from special counsel jack smith but i guess they call it a target letter which says he's a target of the justice department's investigation doesn't sound good uh this is mm-hmm. the investigation into efforts to overturn the 2020 election January 6th speculation here about what exactly Trump is going to be charged with it seems like there's just a whole host of things that he could be charged with here so um the house committee and a federal judge in California um both said that they had evidence that Trump tried to obstruct Congress's section uh, session to certify the results in 2020 and under section 15c of title 18 of the US code that would be a crime punishable up to 20 years in prison. That is the law that the prosecutors used against a lot of the January 6th defendants. Obviously, the difference between them and Trump is that Trump was not physically present, so it would be a different kind of case. But that's not the only crime here. You know, there's other crimes like uh, wire fraud, uh, and speculation here is that Trump could be uh, in the crosshairs over his fundraising efforts. He, was, uh, he appeared to be raising money in the, in the periods after um, the election saying the money was gonna to go to stop election fraud and he spent the money on other things, including at his own properties. <laughs> so that could be one of the issues. And there's just a bunch of other statutes about defrauding the government and uh the fake electors plot, which we'll come back to. Jason, how would you Before stack we... this? so we just should we st- we have a power ranking of Trump indictments at a certain point here? Because yeah. there will be enough to do a top ten.
0: Okay, to me so it depends on your criteria, right? Like if you're gonna go with most likely to result in a conviction, well then this it's got to be the well it's got to be the New York one, right? Mm, well, yeah, actually, right. wait, what's yeah. the venue here? Is this one? This is, is the DC. This, yeah, I yeah, would say so. This is number one.
1: It's got to be number one because it's yeah. Y- you got to think about. Well, you also have to take into effect like count that this is federal and federal means that there could be a pardon. So that's a that's a. I still think him
0: or another Republican president or
1: another Republican. So I'm going to still go with New York. I think you're right. Like, I think it's a weaker case, but there's no pardon coming there.
0: Well, and, uh, it's such a crazy thing to be doing is to, to rank the indictments of the former president who is the front runner for the Republican nomination for president. Uh, I just want to step back for a second and be like, you know, I don't just, I know there are a lot of people who were like, These guys will never be held accountable. And I'm sure a lot of people still feel that way. But I don't even just go back to January 6th or to 2016 and the Russia stuff. I go back further and it's like ever since the 2008 financial crisis, I have felt like it's this sort of futile effort to try and hold the most powerful people accountable for stuff in America. And I think a lot of people have felt that way. And then Jack Smith came along and he was I'm not saying he's holding people accountable for the 2008 financial collapse. I'm just saying, you know, it's just felt like the people who are really behind what happened in the first place don't get held accountable. And then Jack Smith came along and he's like, oh, so I'm the special prosecutor. All right. I'm going to special prosecute. Like he's he's not messing around, man. He's just like, oh, well, there's crimes. I'll prosecute the crimes and I'll prosecute the people who did the crimes. And he seems he's keeping it pretty simple.
1: He he does appear to be weathering the sort of blistering criticisms from the right because he's just doesn't seem like there's a lot known about this guy, which is very helpful. Mm -mm. You know, he's not Comey, he's not Mueller, which, you know, and, and to be clear, I don't think Mueller ever did anything wrong. I just think that he had been a public servant at a, the highest possible level for such a long period of time that people could quibble with things he did. I don't think they did a particularly good job of discrediting him, but... all Well, he also
0: him. probably felt like he had to walk a bit of a tightrope. Like he, he was He was, I think, trying to create something that was a justice... Oriented solution, but also a political solution. Right. And Jack Smith, don't he's like, I'm a prosecutor. Like, he's yeah. just like, I'm just doing my job. And uh, it is, it seems to it be is, going well for him.
1: Yeah. And I, I think this is a very important development for a number of reasons. One is the jury pool in DC is obviously much different than Florida. Uh, two is that mm-hmm. as much as the document stuff, I think, you know, is a, horrendous crime and and one that should put him behind bars for a long time this is the big crime like what Mm -hmm. this is about is like i think the the central crime of the trump presidency there are many things he did that were horrendous but i put this very high on the list and so to to hold him accountable For January 6th, the insurrection, the fake electors would be, I think, the most important case to prosecute against him. I think the second reason why this is really important is that it puts pressure on Aileen Cannon down in Florida because, you know, in the sort of hierarchy of cases, you know, Tish James, Bragg had indicated that, I guess because of the sort of deference given to the federal government, that they were going to basically defer to cannon and her trial and her calendar. Well, now we've got another federal case happening. And and if she, uh, slow rolls that case, which we have, we really don't know. I mean, they had a hearing this week on it and she seemed to talk out of both sides of her mouth. Like we obviously have a lot of reasons to be skeptical of her, but she appeared to both give the prosecutors and defendants a hard time. seems like she doesn't want to do the case this year, but you know, maybe early twenty twenty four is the best you get there, which would be a very strange time to hold a case. Not mm-hmm. that there's not that there's a good time to hold this case. But if she wants to slow roll that case, there's another federal case coming that could step right in.
0: And that's one of the interesting things about the uh, proceed like the motion practice so far in the case in her court is you've got the Trump lawyers saying, "Hey, this should be done after the election." When there won't be as much like media coverage, and, and she yeah. uh, rightfully is like, "Do you really think there'll be less media coverage after the election?" When we know that what they're really saying is, "This should be done after the election so that he can get elected president and pardon himself, and we never have to have this case." Um, right, but
1: it, like, it depends on you know. But, what, but
0: they can't say that.
1: Yeah, it depends on what who I, uh, Alien Cannon is, and we really don't know. Obviously, we have some reason, like once again, to to be very skeptical. Is alien canon? Hey, I want to be the respected independent jurist, and I want that to be my reputation. Let's hope. Two is: is she going to be like, hey, I want to really suck up to Trump, and in the, you know, in the event that he wins, I could be the attorney general, I could be a Supreme Court nominee, I could just be really, you know, like top notch, like in the sort of like the highest regard of Trump world. Uh, third is that she could be like, I want to be Judge Judy. I want to be like in the center of this all. I want to be a famous person mm-hmm. and I want to get this case on the docket before the election because if it doesn't happen before the election, it won't happen at all. And then I won't get to be a famous person. So yeah. I'll take one I'll or give three. give you a fourth. I just don't want to. give you a fourth. <laughs> yeah. Let, let me give you a give fourth.
0: The, four, the fourth is I'm just a person who was a lawyer, who saw an opportunity through political connections to get an appointment to be a trial judge in a job that I could chill out in for the rest of my life and enjoy. And now I'm in the middle of all of this. Yeah. And I never <laughs> anticipated it. And I am scared of many things, One, the least of which might be history remembering her poorly, yeah. and the most of which might be Trump going on Truth Social and putting out her address. Right. 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 Um, so yeah. it's a banana republic territory in that way that like he can just intimidate judges. Um, and uh, and that, that's pretty scary. So I think there's, the, you know, it's sort of the next level of number one. Like it's not just like wanting to curry favor with Trump world. It's like just flat out being afraid of Trump world, which we've seen plenty of.
1: You know, it's fascinating. I have a buddy from law school who's on that uh, district court, federal district court. He was a Trump oh, really? appointee. And he... By the luck of the draw, this could have been him, which is really fascinating to Mm -hmm. think about. He's a young guy. I mean, he's only a couple of years older than me. Very smart guy. Uh, But he, um, I don't know how he got that Trump appointee. I mean, he he was a Republican, but I I never saw him as a particularly partisan guy. But that would have been really fascinating to see him. Like, imagine somebody like my age, like, just like presiding over this case. It would be wild. Well, isn't that,
0: I don't think Aileen Cannon is that old.
1: Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess it just trumped us up to like, I don't know a lot about her at all. Also, yeah. we're,
0: you and I are not as young as we I feel. know.
1: I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming.
0: <laughs> you just turned 40, brother. Like, Ugh. this is the age. We're no longer the youngest people doing the things we're doing. Like... There are lots of podcasters not in their the 40s, for instance. And lots I went of people to <laughs> doing the other things we're doing, not in their 40s. when I was
1: in Italy. The guy who owned my Airplane I believe,
0: the by guy. the way, that you and I are both the oldest people at our respective offices.
1: Uh, where we were, you mean like, yeah, yeah, that is for sure where I am, yeah. See,
0: the, weird, yeah. Anyway, go ahead, back to what you were saying.
1: Uh, age is just a story, just but the, the, yeah. the. The Airbnb I was saying in Italy, this kid, is 24 year old kid, who's, you know, kind of a, he's a trash talker. We're talking trash about tennis. He's like, How old are you anyway? I was like, I'm 40. He was like, You're 40? He was like, That's effing old, is what he said to me <laughs> in Very, very forward of him. Uh, okay, so back to this case. The related case dropped in Michigan. Now, this is a lot of activity here. I think almost we should start our own court TV here, which I know the, the, the Midas guys are basically doing in their network. But the Michigan Attorney General, Dana Nessel, I don't know, I imagine you might know her, on Tuesday brought federal felony charges against 16 participants in a fake electors scheme uh, to illegally deliver the state to Donald Trump in 2020. You as a Secretary of State here, a uh, former Secretary of State, explain exactly what's going on here with fake electors like how what were they trying to do here i
0: don't fully understand it but i you know basically the whole like concept of electors is this leftover deal from back when they were like we're not going to let the mob elect. it's you know pre um Pre popular vote, right? So, Mm -hmm. one of the crazy things about our electoral system is that rather than really change the whole thing to make it make sense, we just as we went along and we found reforms, we just tried to fit them into the way that the constitution set it up in the first place, right? right? So, that's why technically, you know, you vote for president in your state and you know, popular vote carries it, and the electors it's just a ceremonial thing, they go and they cast their votes. This was like, no, we're gonna say that the state legislature, I think this was like this was gonna make the state legislature pick these people instead. Because technically, if I recall correctly, the state legislature uh, certifies who the electors actually are. Because I, I think I remember that from when I was in the state legislature. And so I guess the idea was that these these fools thought they were like the founding fathers. They were like meeting in the basement of the Republican headquarters in, in Michigan. and uh, And they were gonna just submit them instead. And then they were gonna vote, like they were gonna file the official paperwork for the electoral college from Michigan and go for trump uh instead of for biden and what I wonder is did these did these goofballs really understand that like yes, they understood that they were trying to subvert uh the vote of the people in an election, but did they understand that what they were doing was not like civil disobedience was like <laughs> That it was like really, it could really happen? Or did they think that this was like tantamount to protest? Like, I, I just genuinely, I'm not excusing it. I just genuinely wonder if the actual cogs in the wheel, uh, not the people who were orchestrating it, but the actual people signing their name to it, if they understood it.
1: Well, there, there is some evidence that some of them did, because in one of the articles I was reading, one of the more prominent members of this group told a reporter right after the election that, hey, like, as much as I would like to, you know, intervene here, you know, I legally don't have the authority to do so. (laughs) So, they seem to know. (laughs) And, you know, and these are not, like, lowly people, some of them. And this includes the former Michigan GOP co-chair, Sean Maddock, and Kathy Burden, who is a member of the RNC. Uh, There's, like, a Rona McDaniel ally. I think that might be the McDaniel ally. So, it's like... Mm You know, it's like these are a lot of these are serious or like more prominent people. I don't call them serious (laughs) people, but yeah,
0: I'm just thinking of like the the level of activism of people who are like on the state committee. Usually, like they're activists, but they're like, I'm in politics. You know what I mean? Uh, So I guess I guess not. I mean, I think look, all of these people are participating in a genuine attempted coup. I just yeah. sometimes wonder if they are tan out to the people who went inside the Capitol versus the people who sent them inside the Capitol.
1: In some, and it, it's weird. It like, doesn't matter, I guess. I almost think in some ways some of these people are worse uh, because they're, at least, you know, it's, it's a lot of those people who showed up at the Capitol were deranged people who were mm-hmm. manipulated. Whereas I think some of these people are yeah. the manipulators. And this is pretty serious. So they're charged with eight counts, each of them related to forgery and conspiracy to commit forgery. And each felony charge, each one, carries prison time ranging from 5 to 14 years. So they get convicted here. They could be going away for a while. And notably, this is a state charge. So once again, Mm -hmm. uh, at at least the president cannot pardon them, which is critical. Right. So all of that is going on, Jason. Um, Maybe let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the... Uh, very fascinating candidacy of RFK Jr. Um, he uh, he had a video, I think, specifically for you as a message for you, Jason. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about fundraising numbers when we come back. We'll also talk about the rider strike. All of that when we return. <laughs> So our next partner is one that is familiar to a lot of long-time listeners and that's ag1 which is the daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health and i drink it every day i just got back from two weeks away and i brought their travel packs with me because i wanted to make sure that uh, i didn't miss out on that key part of my routine every single day when i wake up before i have any coffee or anything else i pour myself a glass of water and i mix in one scoop of athletic greens. And that just basically sets me on the right course for the rest of the day. I don't need a ton of complicated supplements because AG one basically has everything that you need to be healthy and just one serving. So that one scoop every single morning gives me 75 high quality vitamins, probiotics, whole food source ingredients. And I can't think of anything else that's more important to my daily routine than that save for probably getting a good night's rest. And so, uh, for you if you're looking for a simple, more effective, investment for your health, try AG one and you'll get five of those travel packs. So I know a lot of people are moving around the country this summer trying to get out there. Um, these travel packs are essential and you get a free one year supply of vitamin D as well with your purchase. So you can go to drink AG one slash majority that's drink AG one slash majority and check it out. So one of the most important possessions I have is my mattress and I have a mattress from Helix and this has just revolutionized my sleep you know there was this presumption before that you know mattresses are sort of one size fits all you just go to the store you get a mattress they may have a couple of different options but helix revolutionized this they give you a quiz it takes almost no time to fill out and you talk about you tell the quiz like you know how you like to sleep what kind of you know firmness do you want et cetera. and i did, i filled out that uh, quiz and uh, it told me I should have the midnight Lux mattress because I sleep on my side and I like kind of a medium feel mattress. And I've had this mattress for years and my sleep has been just consistently much, much, much better ever since I got this mattress. And actually it's one of the things I look forward to most when I come back here to New York for my apartment. And what Helix realizes is that everybody's unique and everybody sleeps differently and they want to make sure that you get the mattress that's right for you. And so you should go out there, you could take this sleep quiz You can get a mattress uh, that's right for you. And you can go purchase that mattress and they'll send it right to you. And because you're a listener of this show, you'll get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So you can go to helixsleep.com majority 54. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. So with Helix, better sleep starts now, go out and get your mattress. <laughs>
0: All right. Do you have people in your life, Ravi, who are RFK Jr. curious? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I do, too. I do, too. What does it sound like when they bring it up to you?
1: Uh, it, it There's never like a, a ton of specifics at first. It's more like, hey, have you checked him out? Which is yeah. a crazy question to ask me if you know me very well. Of course, <laughs> I've checked him out. This is like the seventh podcast I've done about RFK Jr. <laughs> but... uh. I think it gets to what we talked about. He he, he's 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 coming. He he's he's hitting certain legitimate concerns of people, even though he is not himself a legitimate human being. If that makes sense, like people who are fed mm-hmm. up, who are frustrated, you know. But he himself is a quack. I don't know. What does it sound like to you? Uh,
0: it, it, the same people are like because I think we're the same in that in our in both of us do this and then we have other professional pursuits and and life pursuits that aren't tied to politics right so like, like for me you know i do my veterans work and and then i just you know i like recreationally i do all this baseball stuff whether it's youth baseball or my own baseball and then and for you it's like you have all sorts of different things you do whether it's the media side but that's more people who are tied into politics or like the 50 other things that you're involved with for me what happens is i become and i think this happens to you too I'm the guy who, when people have an actual political question, they tend to yeah. pose it to me, right? And and so I get like, hey, uh, I was reading about RFK Jr. and he said this and this. What do you think of him? So I, yeah. I don't get, have you checked him out? I get, what do you think of him? And I think I said yeah. on a past pod that my standard response is to say, um, well, look, I think that that's a guy who was who grew up with a lot of trauma and had a lot of things taken away from him. And I think anybody in that position might be uh, likely to go down a conspiracy sort of theory sort of route because it helps explain a world that doesn't seem explainable. If you, you know, lose your dad and your uncle when you're young and all that kind of stuff. And, and people tend to accept that. But then some people, uh, including somebody who uh, I'm close to, but I won't name, said to me, uh, not who listens to this show, said to me not long ago, they were like, you know, I know it's not popular to say this, but so far, most of the things I've read RFK Jr. say, I'm like, it's not that crazy. And I'm like, so then, of course, I'm like, well, he's the one who said this, and he's the one who said this, and, he's the one and they're like, yeah, that's a little crazy, but I know people who aren't crazy who think those things. And then this I know, happened.
1: I, I think I might know who you're talking about. Uh, but, the, <laughs> what, I, but here's the thing about that. And then that. this happened. <laughs> well, okay. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Okay, go to it. I don't, we should do this first. I think <laughs> yeah. About that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: So so then yeah. then this headline happened. Uh, let's just go ahead and go to the video of the remarks about Jews and the Chinese and COVID from RFK Jr.
2: And we need to talk about bioweapons. Well, I know a lot now about bioweapons because I've been doing a book on it for the past two and a half years. And, um, Uh, And, you know, the the technology that we now have to develop these microbes, we have put hundreds of millions of dollars into uh, ethnically targeted microbes. The Chinese have done the same thing. In fact, COVID-19, there's an argument that it is ethnically targeted. COVID-19 attacks certain races. Um, Disproportionately, the, uh, the, the 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 races that are most immune, immune to COVID nineteen are because of the of the structure of the uh, um, the genetic structure of, 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 of genetic differentials among different races of the um, of the receptors of the ACE two receptor. Um, COVID nineteen is targeted to attack. Uh, Caucasians and uh, and, uh, and uh, black people. The people who are most immune are Ashkenazi Jews and uh, and Chinese. And but we don't know whether it was deliberately targeted that or not. But there are papers out there that show the you know the um, the racial and ethnic differential and a impact to that. We do know that the Chinese are spending hundreds of millions of dollars developing ethnic bioweapons and we are developing ethnic bioweapons. That's what all those labs in the Ukraine are about.
0: They're collecting Russian DNA. They're collecting Chinese DNA, so that we can target people by race. Okay, there's a lot there. If you had trouble with the audio, what RFK Jr. is saying is that uh, there are bioweapons being developed that target people ethnically, so that certain ethnicities will be immune from those bioweapons, and certain ethnicities will be harmed by those bioweapons, and that COVID-19 specifically is most harmful to white people and black people, but the immunity is highest among Jews and Chinese people. And then he keeps going and he's like, I mean, the audio was bad enough. I'm going to paraphrase. He keeps going and he says uh, that uh, there are all these labs in Ukraine that are collecting Russian DNA so that the United States can make bioweapons that only target Russians, which is interesting because I just don't think that their DNA is that different. I mean, they're white people. It's quite confusing. Um
1: which is a straight out and of, actually, I've... RT propaganda. Like, that's a straight-up Russian it... propaganda. Is it? It, it sounds yeah, like yeah, it. that's what they've been spreading. Now, I, I want to say one thing at the outset, that I'm offended as an Indian person, because if there's, <laughs> any, <left> out. <laughs> if there's any group of people who have the capability to engineer a bioweapon to save their own people, it's Indians. You go to any lab out there, we have bioengineering and medicine cornered. And I, I said this before, when Kanye was talking about doctors and he was talking <laughs> about Jewish doctors. And I'm sorry, Jason. Like, look, yeah, I, 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 Indian, I have a lot of my... respect for your people, but you can't have medicine. I'm sorry. We get medicine. We get bioengineering, you know?
0: Like, 33% of the doctors I see on a regular basis are Indian and, none, and 0% yeah. are Jewish. So How come we it. don't get our... Computers. Based on that sample. Well, also, I feel like, you know? man, it's not my place to make it, but there's a joke in there about, like, Indian food being really spicy and some sort of immunity situation. I don't know, but like, see, no, there's not a joke there. There wasn't. Well, I don't. Really, I'm <laughs> yeah. the
1: last person to ask. I've had probably less Indian food in my life than you have. Yeah,
0: that's you, true. No, well, yeah. anyway.
1: But okay, All back right, to so, this. Yeah, tell me, tell me, what's wrong with this, Jason? <laughs> uh, okay, so
0: in the anecdote I was telling, I went ahead and just sent this headline, like a screenshot of this headline, and the person was like, "Okay, you're right. Okay, yes, he's that's not good," um, and what I, what's most persuasive to me here, I don't remember where, I feel like maybe it was an article in the Atlantic. I I wish I could, I remembered so I could credit it. Is that somebody made a really excellent case for the idea that, that it's not that RFK Jr. is an anti-Semite by nature, like, because he, he has, he doesn't have a history of anti-Semitism, right? Um, He doesn't really even have a history of bigotry and racism to my knowledge, right? Because there's the anti- Sort of the xenophobia contained in, in yeah, this. Yeah, he has as well said as crazy
1: Semit- things involving the Jews before, but I'm not sure it was out of a place of anti-Semitism. Oh, so see, just, I didn't even know about here's that. Here's one thing he said: his wife had to apologize for this comment. By the way, she called it reprehensible and insensitive. This is what he said about COVID. He said, "Even in Hitler's Germany, you could cross the Alps into Switzerland. You could hide in an attic like Anne Frank did." <laughs> Oh god. No, I don't think that's, that's a silly anti-Semitism. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's just like an exaggeration to just say the a least. Dumb thing yeah, to say. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, he's done he's plenty done that. of
0: that. Yeah. Uh golly. Okay, so I mean, being like, well, at least Aunt Frank had some freedom. Like, did you finish the book? Like, okay, so anyway, um what somebody somebody made the case that the thing is is that if you go deep enough into the world of conspiracy theory it inevitably all leads to one place, and that's anti-Semitism. And that was the point that somebody was making, is that, is that one way or another, um, every single conspiracy theory tends to make its way to this idea of there being this very, very uh, you know, small and yet very powerful group of people who control everything and nine times out of 10, somebody just explains that away with the Jews. Mm-hmm. And, and so what the point they were making, and it doesn't excuse RFK jr. But the point they were making is that like, is that sometimes antisemitism is just the product of people going too deep on conspiracy theorism and finding themselves uh, in antisemitism land and not realizing how they got there. And, uh, and that's what seems to have happened with our, with the, uh, with RFK's son, which is really sad. His whole family uh had to uh, disavow it. Uh this was enough that Biden finally had to comment on it. Um so you know we led into this show by saying how will it affect the Democratic primary. I don't are we at risk of there being a Democratic primary or were we before this even? I don't think so, right?
1: I do think it's it's gonna I do think it's gonna be continual nuisance. I really do. I think he's gonna be around like he's got twenty percent right now. I'm not sure how much of that twenty percent is gonna be turned off by this. Like let's Pretend that he loses five percent because that. that's still a lot, and that's a lot of people, mm-hmm. and that means that RFK, you know, might get on the ballot in a ton of states, and you know, and there's all sorts of weird stuff that's going to happen there. You know, you asked about like what I commonly hear about RFK. One thing I commonly hear is, well, hey, he's right about some things, and what I say to those people is, um, everybody's right about some things, <laughs> right? Like, right. you know, we can come
0: up with some stuff Trump's right about.
1: Yeah, like, you know, somebody says the sky is blue, right? But there's here's my problem. There are many yeah. people you can go to to tell you the sky is blue. You don't need to go to RFK Jr. for that. And, yes, he's talking about the pharmaceutical industry and their conflicts of interest and corruption and yada, yada. I'm sure he's right about a lot about that stuff. You know who's also right about a lot of that stuff? A ton of people. Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders, right? You go down the list, right? Tim Ryan. So, like, you don't need RFK Jr. to tell you about all that kind of stuff. And even if you're like super on the scientific community screwed up COVID and we're overconfident narrative and all that, there are many, many serious scientists and thinkers who make those arguments that aren't also saying crazy stuff like this. And the crazy stuff is not an unrelated point, it all emanates from the same worldview, which is this guy's a pattern recognizing machine. And he's just like constantly spinning theories to explain everything. This clip was instructive because you could take the most charitable reading of what he said and like, let's pretend that the science says that COVID affects different races uh, differently, which is possible. I haven't looked into it that closely. Instead of being like, hey, that's just like what happens with viruses and, you know, different races have different genetic makeups on the margins and that's probably relevant to COVID. You could imagine a progressive saying that, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead of just being like, hey, that's just like how both this disease evolved and how we evolved, he has to find a cabal that's responsible for it. Like, that's the most likely explanation for it, not the fact that, hey, like, evolution of both the virus and humans would dictate that this is just a possibility that we have to deal with.
0: Also, like... If it's a bioweapon, they did a pretty bad job of deploying it since they first deployed it in their country and <laughs> yeah, killed yeah, yes. hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. Now, we know that they they fudge those numbers and they keep them low, but like we know that a lot of Chinese people died. Um, so that's right. not to say that that doesn't cancel out the lab leak theory. That doesn't cancel out the idea that uh, w- for whatever reason that it was potentially being engineered. But the idea that they like... Cre- the idea that there's this high immunity when so many Chinese people died, and like I know Jewish people who died um it it just drives me crazy because when they do this kind of stuff, you find yourself doing what I'm doing now, which is trying to debate it on the merits, which only makes it seem more real, which only like plays into the uh,
1: it also it's very frustrating it, it makes it harder to actually engage in good faith because I personally believe the Wuhan. Uh, lab leak theory was not handled correctly by the press and the public health establishment. I still continue to believe it is a very plausible theory. It looks like the Biden administration is warming up to that. I think just today they announced that they're pulling funding um, for certain cooperation with China because China has been stonewalling that investigation. And we can go down that rabbit hole. And so you could imagine, like, and this is what it gets to, like the RFK like, supporters. Like, I think one thing you could do to people who are RFK friendly or flirting with him is to really understand that world of the lab leak theory. And I and I think, you know, my opinion tends to be we don't know yet. And it's certainly very plausible that it emanated from a lab. And it's not like if you're if you listen to like Barry Weiss or somebody, they're gonna think they're gonna tell you that it's like hundred percent. That is certainly not established, but it certainly is very likely. Very serious scientists believe it's very likely. And China certainly hasn't done anything to help uh you know, help us figure out the answer to that question. And so you could be like, look, I'm with you. That's crazy. And I don't, and, and the public health establishment shut down a lot of discussion of this, and we could talk about why and whether those were good reasons or not. But you'd be like, yeah, that's terrible. This is a really important thing. We need to get to the bottom of it. But that doesn't mean Jews engineered uh, a, a the virus or that even the Chinese engineered it. Like the, the most common version of lab leak theory and the most plausible one is that they were they were negligent and then they were embarrassed and they're an authoritarian country and they didn't want to own their mistake which is what authoritarian countries i mean even democracies don't want to own their mistakes but an authoritarian country is going to be particularly fickle about this kind of stuff
0: no ravi the most plausible theory is that israel and china (laughs) came up with it together and said you know what we're going to do is this will this will fix everything um anyway uh, yeah. I guess if there's somewhere where he's going to lose support, I would imagine it would be among the more high-profile people who have actually supported him. You know, right. the Jack Dorseys of the world, some of the the. Silicon Valley I haven't heard folks. much
1: from those people. Maybe you know. I haven't looked too much into it, but like David Sachs, Jack Dorsey, all these people, I think, I, as, I, I think are still supporting him after this.
0: Yeah. From what I can tell, when those folks support people, they do it very quietly anyway. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, it's money and they, and they don't really do anything else. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, if you just look at the way Jack Dorsey's sort of public persona operates, it's, it's pretty low key. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I told you that I, I went and met with him once, uh, for let America vote and I didn't realize that he's a pretty diminutive fella. And I brought him the wrong size t-shirt cause he's from Missouri. And, uh, mm. anyway, he was quite nice. He did not say much, um, yeah and uh and so, and I think because he is very hesitant to publicly engage in mm. this kind of stuff, yeah, um he just sort of you know he invests uh not unlike a lot of people, I guess you know, Koch brothers don't go out and make statements for the most right. part, um, they just sort of invest, so I guess you have that on all sides of the game, you know, um, yeah. but anyway, all right, uh with that, I guess we should go to another ad, and then we're going to talk about some campaign finance stuff in this Republican primary.
1: Yeah. And also this Tapper DeSantis interview as well, which is really fascinating. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Actor strike as well. Uh, so yeah, let's go to our ads and then we'll come back. We got some fun stuff.
0: Majority 54 is sponsored by Lomi. Uh, I have a family that, apparently it creates a lot of waste. And when I say it that way, it sounds funny. We, we create a lot of trash, a lot of stuff that should go in the trash. And and that means that when you have a lot of trash left over and then the week comes to an end and our area trash gets picked up on Wednesday, uh, you know, I, I, I most of the time I feel pretty guilty about it because I'm like the guy out there with multiple bags and I got to like ask a neighbor, can I put it in your spot? Or I've got to get one of these tags from the city and I put that in my trash that says I paid for this extra bag. Uh, but low meat, Transforms all that extra garbage into gold at the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps to dirt in under four hours. And now, I am that guy that I remember from my neighborhood when I was younger, the kind of strange guy who loves composting. But now I don't think it's strange. Now I just think it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's like made cooking at home even more fun because when there's food waste, oh awesome. That goes into the compost even better. Uh, so there's no food rotting in the garage and smelling up the or, or smelling up the kitchen. Uh, thanks to Lomi, I only have to take out the trash this once a week, and it's hassle-free, and I don't have the embarrassment of like everybody's using my extra bags. I get to help the environment and make my life easier all of my food scraps my plant clipping uh even those those leftovers i forgot in the back of the fridge they go back into what would be my garden if i have a garden but instead you know they go into making the grass be a little bit greener uh and it helps me grow uh should I start a garden, more nutritious food uh, right in the backyard. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash Majority54 and use the promo code Majority54 to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash Majority54 and use promo code Majority54 at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode.
1: All right, Jason. So fundraising numbers came out. I love fundraising quarter reporting because I was a fundraiser for Obama. And uh, when you're on the fundraising team, as you know, because you've had a fundraising team, these are huge moments for the, the finance staff and for the campaign, especially at this stage. We used to have parties yeah, you did because y'all
0: raised so much yeah. money. Like, of course, you love this. Not it, everybody who worked in fundraising loves this moment.
1: <laughs> well, you also have to remember that when we were at this point, right, the first fundraising quarter was the la- the Q one was our first one that we made a big difference, and I think we had raised twenty mm-hmm. something million dollars, like I could maybe twenty four million or something, and we we narrowly edged Hillary Clinton at a time when she was beating us by like 20, 30 percentage points, and that was a huge huge moment, uh, and. And, and then the second quarter, we trounced them at this point. Uh, And so we were like Mm -hmm. building momentum. And I say this to, to say that like, sometimes the fundraising is the leading edge of where things are going to come in the polls later on, which is what happened with Obama. That's true.
0: Before you, before you get into that very good point that you're about to make, Let me tell you what it feels like as the candidate when you get to the end of the quarter and the fundraising numbers come out. Because you get to the end of the quarter and you presumably, hopefully, hit your goal and you do feel good. You feel a momentary rush of like, oh, okay, we did that. And and now in two weeks, we're going to announce what we did. And everybody's going to be like, whoa. And then it sets in on you that you are starting at zero again. And you've got a whole, yep. uh, you've got, now you've got to start the new quarter. And that is the worst feeling. And it's just overwhelming. And I tell you, when I get these text messages from candidates or these fundraising emails now that are like, oh, it's the end of the quarter. I love the fact that that's the only way that I know it's the end of the quarter. Because my life no longer revolves around quarterly fundraising deadlines. Now, with that said, you were about what, to make okay, a very good point. Wh- what
1: One other part, though, that you just reminded me of, after the fundraising deadline, there's this period of time where the finance staff goes from the most important people on the campaign to the outcasts especially as you reach this period so i remember we were like with obama every day back then in 2007 and in june 2007 Uh, And I had some of my best moments with him as a candidate at that point. And then he basically takes off to Iowa during the summer. He's like, Mm -hmm. I got to like put in a time. We never got any time from him. And we're still being pushed to raise a ton of money. But at that point, we didn't have any candidate time. And he wasn't coming to D.C. because I was a D.C.-based fundraiser there. He wasn't coming to do any events. It was it was tough uh, at that point. And so, yeah, that was, and he, he, like you, like any candidate, didn't like to do the fundraising. So, when he had a chance to go to Iowa, he loved it. He loved shaking hands and all yeah. that in Iowa. And from then forward, he didn't really need us in the same way because he started to take off during that third quarter, it was really when he started to search. All that is to say, if DeSantis had shown a really, really strong fundraising quarter, that could say something about his strength as a candidate. He didn't really. So he spent nearly eight million dollars. He has definitely the highest burn. Uh, he had he spent nearly eight million during the first six weeks of his campaign, and he's he's raising tons of money from big money backers uh, who have maxed out, which means that they won't be able to give him any more money. He does have a ton of money in his pack, but he cannot coordinate with his pack. And if you remember, this was an issue for Jeb, um, where Jeb mm-hmm. you know couldn't basically align his strategy. So uh he's been in a bit of trouble we'll go through some of the other numbers but before we do that DeSantis is now on an all-out strategy now to get in front of as many people as possible he was um he did an interview with Tapper which is really fascinating last night and in this interview Tapper pressed him on his electability within the GOP primary and the general let's go to this video
3: So this issue gets into the the state of the race because some of your supporters are disappointed that your campaign has yet to catch fire the way they would want in terms of polling. Uh, One Republican pollster, one who is sympathetic to you, I was asking her about your campaign and she said she thought the issue was you bumped up at the beginning because voters, Republican voters, saw you as a more electable conservative like Trump, like Trump without the baggage. But then they say, as you go further and further to the right on some of these divisive social issues that could alienate moderates, suburban moms, et cetera, Republican voters see you as less and less electable. Uh, what do you say to that analysis? Well, I don't think it's true. I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, I took a state that had been a one point state, and we won it by 20 percentage points, 1.5 million votes. Uh,
0: our bread and butter were people like suburban moms. <laughs> That is funny because of the pudding thing, right?
1: Yeah, so people are listening. The pudding <laughs> he was he allegedly eats pudding with his fingers, which, if true, is honestly enough. To I just know. think
0: it's gross to eat pudding personally. But. Yeah, I agree with that too.
1: Uh, <laughs> his demeanor you didn't watch this interview, his demeanor in this interview I found fascinating because he was way less combative than he normally is, which tells me that this is his new strategy is to appear. Like more likable, they must be getting information from their focus groups that people are seeing him as a prickly asshole that he is, and so he's trying to. You he, you could just kind of see it in his interview. He's like, he's he's restrained. Uh, he's
0: being he's being held back. You're not getting mm-hmm. the the full run.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which I find I think that's actually the right thing to do. Like I think his brand of asshole is not as appealing as Trump's. Not that it's appealing to me either way. But Trump, if, if, you, if you agree with Trump, he's funny, right? Like that's like his yeah. general thing is like like he appeals to something in that side uh, and he's, he's well, it, interesting in that way. Whereas Ron is just like a kind of an uncomfortable guy to, to watch even if you agree with some of the things he's saying.
0: He's Kirkland brand Republican asshole, right? I mean like, like if you want a Republican asshole as your candidate, you're going to go with Trump. You're right. not going to go with the Costco brand. Right. You know, you're just going like I'm just going to go ahead and get the thing that I've got in the past.
1: Right. Uh so that was that was him on electability very defensive on that obviously going to his his uh results of Florida which are like in in a, if he is running a good campaign that would matter a lot more than it does right now. The problem is his stumbles I think I think, made him look like he was Bush League and like kind of reinforced a narrative like, hey, like you were operating in one state, but you're not ready for the national conversation. Um, I, I, I wouldn't put my money on him, but I think I've seen crazier things happen and people take fire, and I think especially if, if, he, if he could somehow become a different person over the next few months and come across as <laughs> yeah. a little bit calmer, I still think there's a possibility he could do something. I'm starting to think that if there's going to be somebody to take out Trump, it's Trump himself, like there's got to be something he's going to do to to take himself out of the running. Well okay, there there's one other clip I wanted to show you, and this involves the military. Obviously, you served, so I think you'd mm-hmm. you'd find this particular back and forth interesting.
3: Recruitment without question is a problem the army did this survey Uh, I'll give you a copy of it if you want They haven't released it, but I got my hands on a copy and it looked at it surveyed people I think 16 to 28 barriers to service and beyond the ones such as don't want to die don't want to be injured Don't want to be away from my family the biggest issues were the number two issue, women and racial or ethnic minorities are discriminated against in the army. Wokeness is listed here, but it's only, it's only number nine. Um, So that would suggest that wokeness is not as big. Well, but I think there's an issue about, like, not everyone really knows what wokeness is. I mean, I've defined it, but a lot of people who rail against wokeness can't even
0: define it. And so I think it's a sense of, you know, this is not something that's, that's holding true to the core martial values that make the military unique. What? So, like, the reason that more people didn't pick wokeness is because they don't know what wokeness is?
1: hmm That's what he interesting. said.
0: Interesting. You know what he did there is he didn't let Jake finish. He made sure to jump in. And he was like, Jake has got me on this. Jake is surprising me with a study that has not been in the news. I better just start talking. Right. Um, which was probably the only port in the storm there. Um, I I would love to... I, I'm going to look up that study now because I think that's really interesting um, because... That is the opposite of what all of these fools are saying. I mean, like we talked last week, uh, you know, about Tommy uh, Tuberville, which a lot of people told me I was pronouncing it wrong. It's Tuberville and his foolishness acting like uh, the reason that that that, that, like abortion policy should affect whether or not we elevate generals. Um, I I just think, I don't know, man, I feel like. I feel like Ron, they did not prepare him for that. And he, he Well, he couldn't because
1: it, it, I can't tell if you could. If I can't remember if this was in this particular clip, because in the extended clip, Tapper, Tapper makes clear that this was not a public study yet. He got right, this from right. the military before it came out, so you imagine there's very little way for DeSantis to know that. Yeah, I think like he he went on to talk about what I think is his. Sh- I think if I if if I were advising Ron DeSantis, the God forbid. I think there are a couple things I would continue to talk about. One is Florida. Like, as I've said before, Florida is not the story that's persuasive to you or I, but it certainly is persuasive to a Mm -hmm. lot of people. I know a lot of people who believe in the idea of Florida as this deregulated, anti-woke state, right? Uh, And he did win it by a lot, and I think that is a concrete idea. Um, And I think, two he talks about this idea of parental freedom and all that kind of stuff. And once again, like although it is not like what animates you or I, those two things together, I think, are like, all right, those are two things that are defining in a way that you can't point to something for Haley or Tim Scott or Vivek Ramaswamy or whatever and say that, or Mike Pence, for sure, that define them in some way, like a story, right? He has a story. The problem is he... He just isn't willing to just tighten it up. And he certainly isn't willing to tighten up his criticisms of Trump. Like he's so elliptical when he talks about Trump. He's, he's, he's unwilling to do a direct hit to the battleship. But he's taking missiles mm-hmm. from Trump. And that's just, that's yeah. not a recipe for success. You know? I,
0: can, I, I can't decide if it's fully their fault, but the, the DeSantis campaign and Ron DeSantis himself have clearly allowed themselves to fall into the electability trap into yes. constantly being able to answer the question, why don't more people like you? Mm-hmm. And the, the thing is, is like his uh, to your point, his entire case is, look at Florida. This right. is what we did in Florida. And none of that has to do with whether or not people like me, right? Right. And, and if you look at the way Biden, I mean, Biden's approval ratings have never been that great. They weren't that great during the election. They haven't been that great since. They weren't that great during the primary. Biden's been getting the why don't more people like you question for years. And Biden has done an admirable job of being like, that's not what I'm worried about. Here's what I'm doing for people. Here's what I want to do for people. Like, we'll worry about that stuff later. The votes will sort themselves out. Here's what I want to do. And, and that works because when you are constantly answering the why don't more people like you question, then you are constantly talking about yourself. And people don't want you to talk about yourself. They want you to talk about them. Because when you talk about yourself, they figure they only think, that you only think about yourself. They want you to be thinking about them. And, and that's the trap that he's falling into. I always said when I was running, because no matter what office you're running for, particularly if you're the underdog, which I was almost every single time I ran for an office, one of the most common questions you get is, well, do you think you can win? And I was always like, why are you asking me that? Like, that's not up to me. Um, I, and, and so then I would just kind of say, well, here's what I want to do if I, if I do win, because to me, I was like asking a candidate for office, if they can win the election is like, and I've said this before is like walking up on a drowning man and being like, think you'll make it to the surface. Like that drowning man or woman has to take all of their energy and dedicate it to getting to the surface. And none of that energy to speculating about whether they'll make it there. Mm. And, and so I think the DeSantis campaign needs to remember that, that they just got to not take the bait on the whole what's wrong with Ron DeSantis's campaign, why don't more people like him thing. Now, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think his best path to victory is the time he's spending in Iowa. The problem is that only works if you're shaking hands with people in Iowa and they like you. <laughs> right. that is, like, that you, is the problem you could that is why people keep damage. asking why don't more people like yeah. you because
0: more people don't
1: you could actually do damage if you spend a ton of time down there and you're not a likable person and so that's going to be tough for him you know that is going to be tough um,
0: yeah people don't realize if you don't live in one of the early states if you don't live in Iowa, New Hampshire whatever and you've never like gone and campaigned for president or been a part of one of those It is, you know, like I've said before, uh, that the, you know, running for the Senate, running for whatever, none of that was, was as good of a training ground for the time that I spent basically running for president in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, as was knocking on doors in Kansas city to get elected Mm -hmm. to the state legislature, because that's what the first part of running for president is. It's just one-on-one meetings with, you know, uh, people in coffee shops, maybe they'll bring four of their friends and, and like, if you're not really comfortable in those situations and people don't really respond to you, like you're, they're not going to tell other people that they like right. you and, it, and your, your, your following is not going to grow in those places. So now are there based on these fundraising numbers that there are other candidates that are showing anything impressive?
1: Well, there was no like eye-popping numbers, and there's all this movement, right? Like Tim Scott moving money from his pack, all this, yada, yada. But he, but there's also the threshold for qualifying for the debate. So the campaigns of Trump, DeSantis, Scott, Christie, Haley, and Ramaswamy all have said they have more than 40,000 unique donors to their campaigns. That's the threshold to qualify for the first debate in Milwaukee. Um, Pence and Hutchinson are struggling to reach that number. Pence is notable. If he didn't make that debate, that would be fascinating. I mean, you the know, dude was vice president. Wild. Uh, he also had a you know really, really tough Tucker Carlson interview, which we probably don't have enough time to talk about. Biden raised more than $72 million in the second quarter uh, and is, isn't spending any money. <laughs> I think he's got yeah. like four staffers, so that's, that's good to know. Uh, and he's got a lot of small donors. So, you know... Uh, it's notable. Like, it's notable that Biden kind of is sitting pretty right now and uh, is kind of building a war chest. Obviously, Trump, with the click of a button, can raise a ton of money. Now, what he'll spend that on is always fascinating. But as we learned with Hillary Clinton, like, there are no rules for this anymore. Like, you can outspend Trump or whoever the Republican nominee is and still lose, but we obviously should give as much as possible that. Well, okay, let's turn to this this actor strike.
0: Oh sorry. Before I, before we do, let me say something about Pence that people wouldn't think of. Is that because people are like the guy was vice president of the United States. How can he not raise more than 1.2 million dollars when he when he announces his campaign? Here's what you got to remember about Mike Pence. Mike Pence was what? I think he was the governor of Indiana. Um, when Trump picked him, but that's because there were like several people who wouldn't say yes because they thought Trump was never gonna win, right? Mike Pence was done. And if I recall correctly, Mike Pence said yes because Mike Pence wasn't going to be re-elected as governor of Indiana. His poll numbers were terrible to be re-elected as a Republican governor of Indiana. So the thing about becoming somebody's vice president is it's not like you then have your own campaign apparatus during the time that you're the vice president or the running mate. So Mike Pence, wherever Mike Pence was in terms of his, this is just an interesting thing to me in terms of his backing and like from his ability to raise money and like his lists and all that kind of stuff. It was frozen in time at the moment that he was going to probably lose reelection for governor of Indiana. And now he's, you know, taking it out of cryo and, and trying to like, you know, bring it back to life. And that's how you end up being the former vice president only raised $1.2 million for your presidential campaign in, in three weeks. Anyway, just a fun fact.
1: Yes. Okay. Well, let's talk about this this actor strike. Yeah. I saw your okay. boy Sidakis on the picket line. Friend of oh, the pod. Oh, did you? Yeah. he okay. was. I mean, I didn't personally see him, but I saw a video of him.
0: Well, okay. So that's why I, I wanted to do this as uh, our occasional segment that is something that's political, but doesn't seem political. Um, for those that don't know, uh, the actors, SAG-AFTRA, the union, which... It, it's so interesting to me that it is led by Fran Drescher because like to see these passionate speeches from the nanny is just kind of a treat and, and she's yeah. doing quite well at it, you know? Uh, but, uh, so they went on strike, um, not prior to that, they had been picketing in solidarity with the writers in Hollywood. Now they just have their own contract dispute, um, with the studios that has and the streamers that has come to a point where, uh, they decided to go on their own strike and they don't seem very close together, um, the actors and and the studios, and neither are the writers in the studios. This is going to go on for a while. Um, and I wanted to bring it up because, you know, I feel like if, if you look at the polling, the American conception of organized labor or the perception of organized labor, um, their favorability has improved over the last several years, you know? And I think that's, I, I would assign that to people, whether they're a member of a union or not just feeling like the corporate management across the board has an awful lot of power and, uh, and the, the corporate world is just that, that workers are not getting a, a very fair deal at all. And with income inequality, I think that's part of it, but I also just wonder, and I wanted to tee it up here in terms of how people view labor versus management, which I think is a proxy for how they view Republicans versus Democrats or Democrats versus Republicans in that case. Um, these high profile strikes where you have people like major league baseball players that go on strike actors now the actors are not striking for themselves somewhat they are like they're streaming residuals but for the most part even the tom cruises and the and the you know jason sudeikis of the world are really striking on behalf of the of the actors who just get the basic minimum you know background actors people who just like they're trying to pay their bills they have a mortgage you may see them occasionally, and maybe you recognize their face, but probably not. Um, that's really because their membership is in the tens of thousands. So I just, I just kind of wanted to tee up that discussion is, do you think that these things, because these are the people we see in these are rich people. Like Max Scherzer, pitcher for the Mets, is the, is the representative of the, of the players union when they went on strike. That dude's got many houses, I'm sure yeah, but they were striking on behalf of minor leaguers, too. So I'm just wondering, how do you think it affects the perception of labor in this country?
1: Well, well, well a couple of interesting things about the the economics of this. So we think we tend to think of like the Tom Cruise and the Robert Downey juniors with these million gazillion dollar contracts. If you look at the top quartile of actors in this country, like the top quartile, the the people who are really successful, their average annual take home salary. Is (laughs) $63,000. And we're talking about people you know. Like, there was the Orange is the new black cast, and they were talking about how, you know, the Netflix leadership was crowing about how they had, you know, better ratings than Game of Thrones. And then they were looking at their paychecks, and, you know, one of the notable actresses was saying, like, hey, my residuals that I just got in the mail were $23. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) well, how the hell is that true? Like, how does that happen? And I think, like, people conflate fame and money, and they're not the same. And mm-hmm. and I, a lot of these people are really struggling to get by, and I think it's hard often for people to, to shed a tear for people when they think, oh, you're famous or whatever, but they're just working. And I think the question is, and it took a while for sports to reach this point, where I think the economics are better for people in sports, although for the NFL, it's very tough because a lot of these people p- play one year on you know a couple hundred thousand bucks and never get to play again, right? Mm-hmm. So it is there is some There's some weird stuff going on there. But it took a while for people to be like, oh, it's not just these famous people. There's somebody else on the other side of the equation. In this case, it's Netflix. It's HBO. It's Apple. It's these huge companies, these production companies, and they're consolidating. And they've been at a war with each other uh, to try to suck up as much content as possible. And we're spending, 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 spending. And what's clear is that even in this sort of golden age of streaming, the actors run-of-the-mill actors and the writers weren't getting that and now they're consolidating a lot of these companies weren't profitable some of them are shedding assets like disney which is you know now saying they're going to potentially sell fx and in, in abc uh and so they're mm-hmm. basically shedding assets because they basically brought themselves to the brink of disaster in this uh streaming wars. And now they're trying to tell their shareholders that they're going to get to profitability at a time when the writers and actors are finally saying, we need our due. It is This is why it's going to get nasty is because a lot of these streamers have put themselves in a bit of a bind, whereas when they could have been more generous, they weren't. And now they're under way more tightened conditions and... It's they're either going to have to piss off their shareholders or change their economic model or something. I don't know.
0: Well, I bring it up because I think it is a really good way to... Because, you know, the mission of the show is to help people talk about politics without losing relationships and to leverage relationships they already have in order to persuade people to come to a more progressive side and expand the majority. I think that something like this, that is, it feels like a conversation about pop culture, it is a conversation you can have that's also about politics where you can help help people see things from your point of view because you can talk about this being in the news you can talk about the actors being on strike and you can talk about labor and management right and and how unfair it is and then you can relate that that to other people's workplace right you can talk about how you know the the streamers are making a ton of money and they're paying these tiny residuals to the people who are making this success for them who are a huge part of their of this success the writers and the actors and they're really not getting anything for it and you can you can easily equate that to just about any employee in this country right and and to what they're doing and what's interesting is i think i think that we are seeing a real change in how favorably people view labor in relation to management. And I think it's getting us a little closer to where we are, where we were 60, 70 years ago or even 50 or 40 years ago, right? Because now you see that like uh, the Teamsters um, are potentially going on strike over their contract with UPS and UPS pilots are saying that they would strike in solidarity. That is a huge deal um, because while the pilots typically have a union, it tends to be a little more of a corporate union, more conservative. At least that's true, I know, for, for passenger air. Um, so that kind of thing, uh, I think, is huge. And I think it could potentially lend, uh, lend itself toward helping all labor negotiations across the country and helping everybody get paid more um, when this kind of stuff happens at a high profile level. Anyway, that's that's what I want to talk about.
1: Super fascinating. And I think there there is a you know, there is a bit of a storm cloud on the horizon here, which is if you think about this a little differently, there pretend like it's a... you know that this is if you think about it from a monopolistic coordination perspective, right? Like what you're not allowed to do in any industry is have the the big players come together and coordinate prices and other strategy, right? Mm -hmm. If they could They would have actually created some kind of ceasefire in their streaming wars because they were killing themselves and their profitability, you know, and overspending. What I think some smart players in looking at this, you know, in a kind of inconvenient theory is that, well, this actually has the effect of helping all of these companies because they, if ever, nobody is creating new content. They're all sitting on huge libraries that, uh, you know, you could spend the rest of your life trying to watch every TV show that exists right now and you would still, you know, Mm -hmm. die having not seen half of it, right? So there's this theory out there, well, they now can cut all these contracts because of force majeure contracts. They can cut with Shonda Rhimes and cut with, you know, Harry and Meghan and all these contracts that they want to get rid of. And then they could pull from their libraries and kind of force people to be like, hey, this is the only thing you could watch. And that's cheaper for them. And so this mm-hmm. is like a bit of cold water, I think, for some people, and why I think you're reading these anonymous quotes from the studios saying, "Hey, like it's going to get to the point where the writers and the actors are, you know, missing so, mortgage payments, and yeah. that's what's going to push them to the table." So I hate to be the bearer of that news, but I do think that this could get ugly for the actors and writers. I actually do think the studios have more leverage than people realize here.
0: Yeah, um, well, particularly the non-broadcast ones, right? Like. Right. Like there are certain, you know, <clears throat> if you if you're if you're worried about getting, you know, Kimmel's show back on the air and that kind of thing, right. that's some incentive. But then if if you're part of a parent company that has a streamer, right? I mean, and that's why it is so because you cannot collude on price. You can negotiate jointly over labor, right? So right. so you have this weird world where Netflix is sitting at the same table as. Yeah whatever in uh, disney right and and nbc and and everything and so uh I, it could go on for. A and they're long. the big so, winners
1: netflix is the big winners here right. because they have so much international content so that you know money heist is a good example a show that is made to US. everybody loves it power 100 we talked about these things there's a gazillion examples of these that americans have never heard of they could pull from this stuff for a decade and be like oh mm-hmm. hey here's this indian show you never heard of i'm like all right like we could treat it like it's a new thing like they're sitting pretty right now, I think.
0: All right. Uh, let's go to grab an ore. um, I have one, uh, I am going to promote my friend Joe peerless. That's P E R E L E S. He is running for the Missouri state Senate. Um, I never intended to make this a show where I'm constantly mentioning people running for the Missouri State Senate, but we talked about our friend Stephen Weber, who's been on the show, who's running for the State Senate, who people should once again look up. But then the other one now is Joe Peerless. Joe Peerless is a guy who everybody on here would love. Joe is a guy who like, he's always been in the thick of things. He's a great like community volunteer and he's been a business leader, but he's not somebody who I ever thought was going to run for the State Senate. And I was so excited when he decided to do it because if he wins, he will be flipping a seat uh from red to blue and i think he has a very good chance to win it's in it's in st louis county uh and you can find so he doesn't have a website yet but he has a donation link which is an act blue link which we will put uh in um in the show notes and, and in the comments here on youtube but i would encourage people to look up joe peerless just a fantastic dude who is without peer oh uh, sorry. i was gonna it's say true. look like I, I it's, don't it's know not about, even the way it's spelled i don't know much about the
1: guy but he is peerless. <laughs> uh, he is. He, all right. He's got a great well,
0: slogan built in, doesn't he?
1: Well, okay. We are we are running at it. We are well over time on this one, but um, give me- That's all right. We can do a one quick. for us because you just Take got a, back
0: from Italy, so you got to tell us about yeah, that.
1: Two weeks in Italy, I was in, uh, I had a friend's 40th, Liz Simon. Shout out to her, uh, who's in our fitness crew. You know, one of the things I love about our fitness crew is how many people have turned 40 this year. We say, I'm in the best shape of my life at 40. I love to hear that and she certainly is i mean she's she's a beast she's been doing the murph uh mm. which is uh is you know hats off to her for that but you know tuscany was amazing but then i spent a lot of time in rome which i hadn't really explored rome and let me tell you that is a freaking awesome city that doesn't get enough credit like i love that place uh the, some of the most friendly people uh, i've ever met like i would go to like a like a random you know tennis club that's run by some old man and then he'll just want to talk all day right like it's just like <laughs> you know it's like there's like a very neighborhoody feel to that city and i definitely think i'm going to start spending more time there uh because it's i love italy generally but i would say tuscan town you gets boring after a while no matter how beautiful it is but rome there's a ton going on there beautiful city
0: now, did you actually vacation or did you like because your plan was to actually unplug and purely vacation and not work? Like you usually work on all of the uh, during all Yeah,
1: I did have to do the second week. I had to do some like some stuff around the branch, uh, and which is hard to do, by the way, when you're on that time zone, um, because you're and like camp. in vacation mode. I oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I had one meeting that was at three o'clock in the morning, who's on the west coast <laughs> oh, of the United States. Uh, that's tough, but the first week I was totally, totally off, which was great, and I got a lot of reading done and I got a lot of thinking done, planning out some new things. Uh, yeah, so I would say like I got a bit of that. I certainly came back in the right frame of mind. Like I've been on it since I've been back, and I'm rounding the bend on this novel I've been working on this year, which is really oh, exciting. good, feeling good about that. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, some exciting stuff cooking. Um, what's going on in your world? You feeling better? You were sick
0: uh, this I, week. Yeah, I'm feeling a little better today. Um, I have, I still don't feel great, but I, my, I think if I have a one thing, it'd be the continual uh, joy of uh, the Afghan family, the Raufis, who, you know. I'll let people look back and find the whole story, but um, who are basically part of our family now and are finally here in Kansas city and live down the street. Uh, and we, we got to take them to thank you to the Kansas city Royals who knew the story and were like, we need, we need to get them to a baseball game. And so it was awesome to take the family of 14 uh, and, and thank you to the people also who who helped make that happen, that we had some people volunteer to drive and that kind of thing to their first baseball game. and. On the way there, I asked and I found out it was their first real sporting event um, of any, you know, other than like very, very local stuff. Like they'd never really been to a stadium to see anything in in their lives. And so it was just a very cool experience and and a lot of fun. And and so I, I really appreciate the team. Uh, making that happen, it was it was. They were on the jumbotron. It was just incredible. incredible, man. Well, I yeah. can't
1: wait for them to see the Bills come to town and kick your ass. <laughs> uh, they've been
0: asking me about football. They're like, okay, so American football—that's like with the ball. That's like a rugby ball. And you know, the kids already have because they've been donated. They already have shirts that say Mahomes this or Mahomes that. So oh, I've been man. explaining to the kids who that is and. Uh, it's pretty fun, man.
1: It sucks for them that they're they're catching you guys on the tail end of your dynasty. Oh, That's please. <laughs> I can't even please. try. I can't even yeah, put my back even... into the trash talk anymore. My team is such a mess right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Low right. expectations, secret to happiness.
0: Well, remember to subscribe to Majority54 wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Just search Majority54 and please leave a five-star review. Thank you to the Midas Mighty. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.